The United Nations gave its starkest warning yet about the challenges facing the fight against climate change, and in particular, efforts to get to net zero on emissions. One of the solutions that's being put forward by businesses and policymakers is hydrogen as an alternative and clean source of fuel. But how real is the opportunity? How much is it hype? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your content. With me is Kelsey Warner, National's Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. Very much the future um, we're talking about now, the future of energy, but within the context of you know, the really alarmist uh, news coming out of uh, the UN, a much-awaited report on where we stand on climate change, and essentially that the emissions have caused global warming uh, to such an extent that we are going to most likely miss our objectives, the global objectives, and there really is no more time now to really tackle Right. Uh, human-made emissions. A, a human-made disaster. And I would argue that not alarmist, but maybe one of the first realistic reports that actually lays out granular data as to what all is happening and ties it to man-made, you know, destruction of the earth. Um, so I think we're in a new framing of this crisis. And part of understanding it is understanding hydrogen, which the UN has said is our best hope of replacing, you know, fossil fuels wholesale is tapping into the hydrogen molecule, which for the past several decades has faced many technical hurdles. But, you know, you'll see it in headlines, but kind of (laughs) digging into what it is, how does it work, and how might it help? What role does it have to play in addressing this issue? We talked to one of the region's most active players, the CEO of Aquapower, Patty Pidmanathan. Here that is. Paddy, thanks so much for being with us today, um, and particularly talking about this this topic that I know you're you're kind of very much involved in um, day to day, which is the, the the hydrogen opportunity. But for most people out there, they might not be aware that you know that the reality of the hydrogen economy or the hydrogen energy opportunity is there. Maybe maybe it would be helpful if you could kind of uh, frame that for us from from your point of view. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to join you. Yes, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I'd very much like to explain why it's uh, truly, a, a, truly a fantastic opportunity, particularly uh, at the right time, as uh, we now recognize the urgent need to uh, reduce greenhouse, greenhouse gases as fast as possible. So um, the, the opportunity around hydrogen is very straightforward. I think we all know that something over 50 uh, gigatons of uh, emissions um, being pumped out into the atmosphere every year through a variety of human endeavor. Um, uh, There's an enormous amount of focus on uh, renewable energy, quite rightly so. Uh, but, but But the issue around renewable energy is that that's about electrification and something like 2025, just under 25%, of emissions um, come from electricity generation. So even when we get to the point where we are able to completely go to renewable energy for power electricity generation, we're only gonna be dealing with something like just over 25% by then 
of uh, emissions. Uh, the rest of the emissions are coming from transportation, uh, industrial, uh, manufacturing, um, and uh, agriculture. Uh, that's where the bulk of it is. So um, transportation, starting to deal with it in the form of, um, again, electric vehicles and so on and so forth. And the world is also moving more and more towards consuming electricity. So by 2050, if we kind of look forward, um, it's uh, conceivable that um, electricity would probably account for well over 50% of uh, energy we consume. So that's all good news for renewable energy. But what about the rest? And the, the challenge with the rest um, heavy transportation, long-distance transportation, aviation, and industry like steel, um, uh, aluminum, uh, wood, paper, uh, the, the whole range of industries. Now, they have the industrial processes require a reactive agent as much as very high temperatures. The exciting thing about hydrogen is that hydrogen is something that actually is, can be used um, as a reactive agent. Uh, in order to, say, reduce uh, iron ore to steel, um, it can be used for very high temperatures. So it is a fantastic molecule that's very powerful. Now, already we use, the world uses something like 70 million tons of hydrogen a year, uh, and that's produced by burning fossil fuel. And that is used mainly for fertilizer production as well as chemical uh, industries uh, predominantly. Now, so th that doesn't help if we're going to burn fossil fuels. But there is a way to produce hydrogen, which we all are very familiar with. Um, we've sort of gone to do some physics lessons. Um, if By splitting the water molecule, uh, which is H2O, uh, we are able to liberate hydrogen and oxygen. And uh, to do that using a process by the name of electrolysis, so sticking electricity to electrodes into a beaker of uh, water, you can liberate these. So it is highly energy intensive in that it, it uses electricity, uh, but we can split the hydrogen. Now, if we can produce that electricity with renewable energy, then we really have now all of a sudden a new way of making hydrogen that is entirely green in inverted commas, renewable energy based. If we can do that at scale, then we can use that hydrogen for all these other industrial processes. Um, and in fact, even it is plausible to take, uh, remove carbon dioxide from systems or processes or even from direct air and combine it with this hydrogen to produce synthetic fuel, which can then uh, work with uh, aircrafts and uh, engines and so on. So that is why hydrogen has become uh, such a sought after molecule now, um, particularly as we are able to start, um, contemplate producing that hydrogen with um, renewable energy. Patty, thank you for that lesson. To your point, producing hydrogen is massively energy intensive, but we're sitting here today talking about its possibilities. What hurdles have been addressed? What hurdles still remain for us to see the hydrogen molecule begin to replace the carbon molecule at wide scale? So the first hurdle, good question, the first hurdle that has been uh, overcome is that as you said, it's an energy intensive process. Something like 60 plus percent of the cost of producing green hydrogen is the cost of electricity. We are now able in certain geographies across the world, able to produce electricity using renewable energy, very cost competitively. 
just to give kind of global order of magnitude numbers, using fossil fuels, we were generating electricity at something like, on average, seven, eight cents per kilowatt hour. We are now able, and that's without even accounting for the carbon emission costs and all the rest of it, or abatement costs. Um, we are now able to produce in certain geographies, not right across the world, but certain geographies like uh, in the GCC, for example, uh, and in countries like Chile and in Australia, uh, we are able to produce at one and a half cents per kilowatt hour. You know, so so that hurdle has been uh, already uh, surmounted. So we are able to produce, and that is what is really starting to make it exciting, that we probably can, uh, not probably, it's looking very certain, and we are already working on our first project, uh, able to produce um, at a much lower cost, um, renewable energy-based green hydrogen, uh, that within the next five to 10 years, as we start to produce more of it at scale and produce and reduce the cost of other components that are in, in, uh, involved in this process, we should be able to bring it down to a level that really becomes um, cost competitive uh, for pretty much everything. Um, so Paddy, because you Aquapower, you've been involved in renewables for some time uh, in in this region, a lot of projects. And if and if we use the the differing examples, so we have what you're talking about, sort of green hydrogen, which is you know the ideal, comes from renewable energy, helps us um, produce the hydrogen that can then be used in cars, in industry, and elsewhere as a fuel source, a clean fuel source. Then we have what the other side, which is sort of the blue hydrogen, which is produced from, say, natural gas, creating ammonia, which is easily transportable. That is, for example, right now being shipped to Japan from Abu Dhabi, for example. There are deals on that, um, and they use that ammonia as a, as a fuel source. The, the CO2 has been removed from it. But as you said, it's starting from the point of fossil fuels, which, which isn't necessarily the cleanest way to go forward. But if we can address the excitement, because I think this is what we want to understand. We want to understand the difference between hype and reality. And if I can take you back to the early days or the early-ish days of renewable energy, say 2007, 2008, 2009, there was a lot of hype around solar, wind, solar in particular, and it was going to be paid for by subsidies. So you look at Europe, for example, in Germany, government subsidies was paying for the proliferation of solar then the subsidies were pulled, the market collapsed. But then we saw the emergence of sort of industrial scale solar, for example, like you said, in the GCC and the UAE. And that's being paid for at the, the kind of industrial level by companies, by governments. So who who is going to pay for the development of hydrogen? You know, who's who's on the hook for that? Who's going to come in and say, I'm going to make this investment now urgently to meet the sort of wider... Um, climate change, urgency, the idea that we can reduce emissions this way, that we can help, you know, contain global warming as a result. I mean, do you see this as real or, or, or is the excitement a little bit overdone? Given the way you're speaking, it sounds like we still might have to wait a decade or more for this to materialize in terms of green hydrogen. So a uh, couple of things uh, just to start, uh, start with, though. So Blue hydrogen, by the way, is uh, essentially hydrogen made out of the same sort of old uh, process that uh, produces gray hydrogen, steam methane reforming process, uh, burning natural gas, but taking the carbon 
that is produced in the process out of the system and sequestrating it. And indeed, one of the challenges today, so we have solved, in my view, we are very far advanced in solving the problem of producing green hydrogen cost-effectively. <clears throat> in this first project that we are already involved with, which most likely will end up being first project at scale that's going to be done in the world to produce 650 tons per day of green hydrogen at NEOM in partnership that we are doing with Air Products and NEOM, um, we, we can already see how quickly we can bring the cost down um, because of the, the fact that we are able to generate renewable energy so competitively. However, the, the challenge with hydrogen is we, so far, that 70 million tons of hydrogen that is produced in the world every day, uh, every year, sorry, is produced using, uh, is used at largely at the site where it is produced. So we haven't really got around to moving hydrogen long distance uh, somewhere, uh, you know, from one point of production to some other point of use, uh, because it's, it is a challenging uh, molecule uh, to move around. So that, that has been a problem that we didn't need to deal with because if we need it in an industrial process or chemical process, we produce it there and then by moving the gas around and burning it at that point. Whereas now, if we move towards a true sort of global scale hydrogen economy, uh, the challenge that we're gonna to have to overcome and that we haven't overcome yet is how we move it around. Okay, we have come up with an intermediate step. We're able to convert the hydrogen to ammonia whether it is green, blue, or gray doesn't really matter. We can convert it to ammonia and uh, move liquid ammonia around very uh, effectively. Uh, but the problem then is, of course, by the time we then move the liquid ammonia to some other point of use and then re-crack it back to hydrogen, we, through this sort of process, we are losing efficiency. So unnecessarily adding cost. So that's a challenge that we're going to overcome over the next decade um, as we start to produce a green hydrogen at scale, fairly cost competitively. Um, uh, now, uh, back to the question of uh, who is going to, uh, you know, who is going to pay for it or who is going to help uh, subsidize it. Uh, let's understand one thing very um, quickly. You're absolutely right. Renewable energy, well, uh, solar energy, and wind uh, were made cost competitive by uh, a few countries like, you know, uh, leadership to Germany or credit to Germany, uh, and then Spain. Uh, and a few other countries starting to subsidize, uh, offer big subsidies that then brought in more innovation, more competitive tension, more participants kept reducing the cost. Um, and as we deployed more and more, we reduced the cost to the point where uh, for the last several years, right across the world, you, nobody needs subsidy for renewable energy anymore. I mean, you know, Aqua Power, we have contracts to deliver photovoltaic energy at scale with zero subsidy in a country like Ethiopia at 2.6 cents per kilowatt hour. Forget it. So we don't need subsidies for renewable energy anymore. Now, and that took quite a while, you know, that sort of subsidy phase for renewable energy um, in earnest took probably over a decade. My personal belief is I don't think we would need that kind of a scale and that kind of a time period for, uh, for hydrogen. But, uh, but let's go back to, so at a very, very high level, as I said, um, Using uh, the steam methane reforming process and uh, today's sort of uh, cost of energy, uh, cost of um, oil and gas, we can do uh, gray hydrogen is produced at $1.20, $1 to $1.20, that kind of a number per kilogram. Uh, 
uh, blue hydrogen. So by, by the time you then take the carbon out, that process, blue hydrogen will become more like, this is at the point of production, by the way, you haven't started to ship it. Um, it would probably be about $1.75, uh, that kind of a number. Um, green hydrogen today, because it's not produced at scale, very small electrolyzers, not many people are involved in it. Um, it's five, six dollars, okay, uh, plus. But is, that's you, per, is that per ton? When you're all per kilogram, per kilogram, all per okay. kilogram, all per kilogram. So that's a, so I'm giving you a relative scale. However, the first sort of project at scale for green hydrogen is going to bring half that number, no question. Okay, so from six, we're going to come down to uh, well below three at the point of production. Let's get it right. But it's still uh, three times more expensive than um, grey hydrogen, right? Uh, or uh, another, you know, nearly double the price of uh, blue hydrogen. But that's the first project at scale. The second project at scale will bring it down even further. Okay, but we are still at the point of production. Now, the point of use is all around the world. So we now still have to. So the first project, we are having to uh, put it into, convert it to liquid ammonia, ship it. Um, uh, in this instance, uh, it's uh, fairly public knowledge, the Air Products Intention, who is the off-taker. Uh, their intention is to take it to the Far East and uh, recrack it and uh, put it into uh, use in transportation via hydrogen fuel cells. So lots of costs will get added by the time it gets to that end. Now, so today, uh, Korea, Japan, and uh, uh, some parts, you know, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, the, the West Coast of the United States uh, is offering subsidies um, that are sufficient to make it uh, cost competitive in order to be able to go through this process and deliver hydrogen fuel cells. Um, but that's, for me, that's just a starter. And that, thank you very much to those countries and those regions that is allowing us to start to deploy hydrogen at scale and, and start the process of reducing cost. But, uh, you know, different people have got different sort of views, but my personal view is that it will take, uh, it wouldn't take as long as it did take in the case of renewable energy in order to get hydrogen down to a standalone um, cost competitive level without subsidy. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, my, my personal view is not gonna take 10 years. Uh, it's gonna be much faster than that. Uh, particularly if we can start, if more people can jump into the sector and start producing uh, more and more at scale, because we need to bring the cost of electrolyzer down. The uh, renewable is already down. Electrolyzer needs to come. The cost of electrolyzer needs to come down. But then pretty much you are able to produce hydrogen at the point of production fairly competitively. Now then we need to think, uh, find ways of uh, moving that hydrogen more cost effectively. Now, again, there's progress being made there. Um, uh, SNAM in Italy, uh, one of the largest pipeline operators in the European sector, have started to inject hydrogen uh, into their pipeline system at varying levels. Um, they've already done it at 20% uh, without any uh, impact. They're able to put, blend it with natural gas and take it out on the other side and separate it and deliver it as uh, green hydrogen. Uh, they are intent on increasing those contents uh, to see how far they can push that up uh, before having to completely redesign the pipeline system. Um, there is already the first hydrogen ship under construction in the Far East um, to look at moving uh, 
uh, hydrogen over long distance. Um, so look, there's a lot of work. Uh, we just need to do it faster and um, we need to do it within the decade rather than take the whole decade doing it. I mean, we simply do not have time. The race to 2050 and net zero, what you're describing is really first projects. What I'm understanding from you is this is going to reach a price tipping point much faster than solar and wind power did. But can this be achieved in the next three decades, what you're talking about, the kind of scale, the exporting capacity, the change to infrastructure? These are very promising first major industry scale projects. But but what is your sense on this kind of race to 2050 and this stark warning that we got this week from the UN? Look, I... I really, really, really think it is really possible because I'm seeing, I mean, we saw what happened in renewable energy. So why, uh, no one, no one predicted that renewable energy will get down to this level so fast. Um, and we are now starting to deploy renewable energy projects at really scale. So it was it was only five years ago, we were talking about a 100 megawatt project as a big deal, 100 megawatt solar, 200 megawatt solar was a big deal. Today, every other project is 2000 megawatts, 3000 megawatts solar project, 3000, 2000 megawatt wind farm. So we've really immediately moved across uh, because it's all become cost competitive and we are able to produce it at scale. I absolutely, uh, I can see the trajectory as to how hydrogen can get there uh, fairly quickly uh, to cost competitiveness, and then we can start to deploy it fairly fast. Um, look, it's not, a, it's not a matter of, are we going to be able to do it? We're going to have to do it. There is no other choice. And right now, for all that hard to abate, things like industrial processes, um, things like uh, fertilizer making, uh, chemicals, um, many, many uh, manufacturing and long distance transportation, heavy uh, transportation. There is no other solution. Um, it re it's really for the moment anyway. Now we're gonna keep trying and we're gonna keep inventing new stuff, but that obviously is gonna have even a longer trajectory of time, right? So immediately hydrogen is the solution. And, uh, and all I am saying is, and, and what I'm seeing, I'm happy to see so many people jump into it and start to recognize it. I think even if 10% of all the projects that have been announced, and we keep a track of these projects uh, out of interest, um, we will get hydrogen deployed faster than uh, people believe. Um, it's just that now is the time for action and people need to jump in and uh, with conviction and um, just race forward. That was Paddy Permanathan, the CEO of Aqua Power. Uh, that's it for today. Kelsey, thanks for being with us. Thank you. All that remains to thank our production team, Lean Al-Faisal, Arthur Edison, and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.